nonetheless, it's just always an honor to be able to come and bring a word of encouragement, a word, Pastor Candace, Pastor Aaron, and the whole Freedom Valley team. I do welcome, um, whenever they ask me, it's just a blessing again. Um, I don't take things lightly. Um, 2021, we are all here. Many of us didn't think we would be here. Many of us uh, have family members or friends that thought they would be here and they're not. So I'm gonna, you know, basically talk to you like me and you are friends. We're having a cup of coffee just for a couple of minutes. It's interesting that Aaron had the Spirit of God move on him to do another song and another song and another song. Because guess what? I was getting ready to come up here and say to you all, how many of you just take an inventory of your thoughts right now who already in your mind know what you're getting ready to do next? who already know in your mind what you're getting ready to do when you leave service today. We always do that, right? I'm gonna go to church, I'm gonna go do this, I gotta do that, I gotta do this. We always, always in the next. Well, the word of the Lord to you, to me, and to everyone is that you need to get in the now. And the now right now was that the Holy Spirit, the Lord was moving through Aaron to let us worship the Father one more time. Does that make sense? So understand this, we're so busy in this culture trying to get into the next that we forget about the now. And it's the whole lot of people in hospitals that's in graves. It's the whole lot of people in this world that never made it to their next because they didn't know how to appreciate their now. So what I'm saying to you right now is that Latina has learned after coming through all the crises and the traumas and the dramas and just life in general, Latina, you better recognize and understand, which I always appreciated the Father, but my mind, just being that type of personality, a go-getter, I'm always in the next and what I gotta do, and I get that. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm gonna tell you right now that there is nothing, nobody, no vaccine, no cure that can stop you from dying, leaving, or anything. But there is someone, and his name is Jehovah. His name is Yahweh, he is the Most High. He is the only one, I'm gonna tell you right now, the reason why I'm living, that you're living, and the reason why you're going to live. So think soberly about that. And don't just run past him. Don't just run past giving him worship time on Sundays or every day. We have to truly understand, no president, no anything, and they're all good. I'm in the medical field, or was, first responder, left a couple of years ago, finishing, right now I'm in my doctorate, my third year, my doctorate going part-time, but I left and I started a, a, a recovery trauma company, a, a coaching business even now to help coach people, encourage people, encourage myself, coaching for Christ services. And I'm gonna let you right now, I did not know how big trauma really is. Trauma is big. COVID-19 and traumatized a whole lot of people. Can I get a witness on that? We scared to give people a hug. We're scared to have people even come close to us because of COVID-19. I, I want to offer this to you. Those that's in the medical and mental health field, they're going to add a whole nother category for PTSD for COVID-19 because people was already struggling and suffering from anxiety, depression, everyday life and stresses. And so every day something is coming up. Every day there's a new something to fight. So what I'm saying to you and to me and to our lovers and to the world, to understand the days of masks, the days of pretending, 
The days of thinking that you're strong, I thought I was rough and tough with my Afro puff. When I was in the Marine Corps 25 years ago, until I realized that I couldn't stop myself from dying when I almost died a couple years ago. I can't stop things from happening to me. So Jehovah let me know that you overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you come to this church and fellowship and give your support to Pastor Aaron and Freedom Valley and the whole team, it is a privilege, it is a community. This is where you got, this is where you get your strength. This is where you get your community because being a first responder all those years and I always bring that up because God used that so that I could be a spiritual paramedic now to let you understand when you on the back of a, an ambulance or in the ER and a lot of us had to go there, them rooms are cold and they are sterile and a lot of people don't have people there with them. So you need to have us, us, family, people and I, I'm a black African American. But I would always tell this story when someone was in the back of that ambulance taking their last breath and they knew that I was a paramedic trying to help them. Not one of them, when they was reaching out to me, said, Paramedic Dorsey, get that diploma off the wall and let me look at it one more time. Get that checkbook and let me just look how many more Benjamins I got in there. No, they were scared to death. And I was a praying woman. And I did what I could to encourage them and give them medical attention. Do you understand what I'm saying? But they needed somebody with bedside manners and with some love and the love of Christ. So I'm coming to you all to give you all the love of Christ and let you understand, get your priorities and perspectives in order because you may not never get to that next. <laughs> so I'm gonna encourage you to live in your now in Christ Jesus name. Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus and I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for these, your people, white, black, all other colors. Father God, you are a universal king, a universal God. There is no color. There is no boundaries. I thank you for the word. I thank you for being our rock and our refuge. You are just all of that. And I am crazy for you. You are all that. I'm a Jesus freak, a Jesus girl, a Jesus everything. Because even though I've aspired and attained many things, they pale in nothing. They all is dung. It's Christ Jesus. He is the way the truth and the light and if you're gonna make it out and live live more abundantly you better grab on hold on and get into this now in Christ Jesus name say amen 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 father thank you for the word the worship and this time would you continue to stay ever present as we move forward into the time of our message and connecting together in Jesus name I pray amen Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. Good morning, Freedom Valley. Welcome to Wild Number Three. Has this series been helpful to you so far? Has it been good? I have seen and heard about more anxiety this past year than ever. I experienced it myself in 2020, just the heavy load that we're all carrying that Latina talked about so powerfully and beautifully a minute ago. People are scared. That's what the series is about, getting our mind right, taming the wild thoughts that have crept up. And, and we're not even exactly sure what we're scared of all the time, are we? We're just 
scared, that, that fear manifests itself in this loop that goes on in our head that we just cannot control. It's like a bad feedback loop in there. Keeps coming around again and again. Now, if you've been with us in, in the first two weeks of this series, you've heard about how to take those thoughts captive, right? How to lock them away, lock them up and, and make them be submissive to Christ because you are in control. You are in control. Those thoughts feel out of control, but you are in control. We have to learn how to replace those thoughts, those fear loops with whatever is true, whatever is good, whatever is excellent and praiseworthy, right? We also talked about uh, being double-minded, thinking one thing doing another or or saying two different things, praying for two different things because you don't have the the faith to believe in what's best from God. Now, if you're struggling right now with anxiety, with your thought life being wild and out of control, go back and listen to those messages on YouTube or on the FV Church podcast through the app. Um, I promise using the Word of God in your life will produce results. Does not return void, the Bible says. Today we're going to address one of the biggest sources of anxiety. If there's anything that can get your mind, heart, and soul into a twist, it's money. Right? Money gets us there so quickly. Can get us anxious so quickly. And it's really no wonder. I mean, money, so much, it's about so much more than just money, right? It can be about your beliefs, your plans, your future. For some of us, it's about status or security, right? It goes down to our very nature sometimes. Some of us are are savers, some of us are spenders, and usually they marry each other, right? Money and the way we treat it goes down to our very core. Show me someone's budget or lack of a budget. Show me the, the breakdown of what they spend their money on, and I'll tell you what they value in life, right? I could probably also tell you how much anxiety they live in day to day. In fact, the passage we're going to read today echoes that very thought. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's pretty easy to tell where we put our money is where our heart is. It's what we believe in. Jesus knew this. Money is actually one of the main subjects that he keeps coming back to in the teachings that we have recorded in the Gospels. It's probably top three subjects that he talks about. He talks about it a lot because it has so much to do with how we live our lives. And when there's very little of it, when money is scarce, we, we, we all go through those times here and there, right? When you look in your bank account and you realize you can't even buy a double cheeseburger right now, right? Anybody been there as a young adult? Like, wow, that's, that's low, <laughs> right? Or maybe there's uncertainty about a job or there's, there's medical bills and issues and debts. Maybe there's an eviction or, or some looming bill or, or there's lots and lots of debt we've racked up in life, right? Most people aren't immune, to these issues. At some point in life, you'll probably deal with at least one of them. And if you are, uh, or if you are not struggling with them, meaning you've always had money, you've never really had to worry about it, I guarantee you've got other things to worry about, right? We glorify having money like it's the end all. 
to our problems. The scripture is actually a little skeptical of wealth. It's a, a little suspicious of it. It's not evil, right? We've talked about this a lot. It's not evil, but it's not necessarily safe either. Jesus has some pretty tough things to say about the rich. Tough to get into heaven, for example. Easier to get through the eye of a, a needle, for a camel to get through the eye of a needle, Jesus said, than for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. So if you're rich, you just have to look out for different things spiritually, which we're also going to talk about a little bit today. But in those times of uncertainty, we tend to develop this, this scarcity mindset, right? There's a, a, with turbulent times, our problems seem extra big, extra Scary. And so we tend to see the world as this finite little pie. And everybody gets only one piece. And so if you happen to have two pieces, that means you're taking from someone else. And so we hoard things. We withhold things. We become stingy. We pull in. We start to see God as someone who does the same. But Jesus has some very pointed things to say to that mindset specifically in Luke 12, which is where we're going to read today in verse 22. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, then what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or, or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly take care of you. Why do you have so little faith? Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. Some versions actually say, don't foster your anxiety. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. See, Jesus always makes it so clear that the father loves to give. He loves to give. Now, we're not talking prosperity teaching here. God's going to bless you with the lifestyles of the rich and, and famous. We're not talking about twisting God's arm to do what you want him to do. But we're just saying God loves to give. It's who he is. You don't have to deny yourself everything because God loves to give to you. And he loves to see you enjoying the life that he gave you. Not about twisting God's arm to be generous to you, but about seeing the vast generosity that is already there. Verse 33 says, sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. 
this single question in this passage has been haunting me all week. Why do you have so little faith? Why? Why do you have so little faith? When God asks a question, when Jesus Christ asks a question, is it because he needs to know the answer? Or does he probably already know the answer? Does he definitely already know the answer? Or is it because you need to know the answer? Why do you have so little faith? Jesus sees worry as an expression of little faith. Worrying is an expression of having little faith. He sees withholding, not giving to those in need as an expression of little faith. He sees not storing up your treasure in heaven as an expression of little faith. He sees a lack of being kingdom-minded as an expression of little faith. I've been asking myself this question all week. Really? Why? Why do I worry? Why do I have so little faith? I have no reasons to have little faith. I can't come up with a good one. There is no good excuse that comes into my brain to explain why I have so little faith that I have to worry all the time. It's just fear. All just fear. Yeah, bad things have happened in my life, right? But God got us through it. Abundantly got us through it. Look, I'm still standing. I'm still paying my bills. I still have a roof over my head. There's still food in the fridge. We got through it. God got us through it. Sometimes... No idea how things are going to get paid, but God comes through. I have no reason, actual reason, to have little faith. I'm living in one of the most privileged countries in the world, right? I've been to a handful of third world countries, like the harsh streets of Quito, Ecuador, the, the shanty towns in Africa, the... Slums, absolute miles of slums in New Delhi, India, where families sell their little girls into sex slavery because they can't feed them or anyone else in the family. I mean, poverty, right? I never have to experience that in my lifetime living in America. What am I really so worried about? I've seen it bad. This is not that. My first world problems are, why do I have so little faith? I have this theory. I've been sort of working on this theory all week that faith really begins at its simplest, earliest form with just pure, simple gratitude. Like that when we first realize we have a need for him and we're grateful that he met that need, that is faith. In its tiniest, simplest, earliest stages, it's just gratitude. When you can recognize that you are thankful for what God has done for you, right? The very beginning stages. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Beginning of faith. But trust in God. True financial trust that God will provide in its earliest stages begins with tithing. We're going to get into the rest of this, but we can't go any further today without starting there. My dad always used to say that that uh, 
Tithing is usually one of the last things people conquer, one of the last spiritual disciplines he saw disciples conquer. Right? They, they could read their Bible, they could pray, they could worship, they even would try fasting, but, but tithing was sometimes the last one they conquer. I'm here to tell you today that I'm not sure we truly trust God until we've got that down. Another version of this passage actually says, you don't trust God. Instead of, why do you have so little faith? It says, you don't trust God. You don't actually trust God. The basis for any biblical teaching on money must begin and end with tithing. I don't know a single tither who isn't passionate about it. Passionate about it. Once you see it working, it's amazing what obedience fosters in you. I, I can't explain the ins and outs or how God works it out all of the time. The, the absolute miracles that happen when you tithe, I just know it works. That when you tithe, God takes care of you abundantly. Absolutely abundantly. I'm not talking about win, winning the lottery abundance, right? But, but you take your car to the mechanic less often kind of abundance. Right? The, the, your roof doesn't leak kind of abundance. Your, your clothes don't wear out kind of abundance. You, you're given things you would usually have to buy kind of abundance. But what tithing comes down to is just faith. You are choosing to place your faith in God. Knowing that even though the numbers don't match, even though the money isn't there, you're gonna tithe. And He is going to take care of you. Trust. Now, when I say tithe, I mean 10% of your income to God, giving 10% of your income to God. Not more, not less. A tithe is 10%. God is good at numbers. He kind of invented them. We forget that sometimes. But he creates systems in this world. He created the system of tithing. Uh, tithing isn't just any gift to the church, right? That's, that's called an offering, biblically. It's still a very good thing. It's just not a, a tithe. A tithe is specifically 10% of your income, and it's a percentage for a reason. God didn't single out people who make less or, or you know, give more privileges to people who make more. It's a percentage. Also meaning that you can't be like a, a better tither or a worse tither. You just are or you aren't one, right? There's not a scale. Numbers don't lie. The hard truth is that you either are a tither or you aren't, right? You either give 10% of your income to God because you trust God or you don't because you don't. That's what it came down to for me as a young adult. I could not sit there and look at my checkbook and pay all my bills and say, God, I don't trust you. Couldn't bring myself to say it. So I had to tithe. Because not tithing is communicating something to God that I do not believe. Communicating to God that I don't trust him. Actions speak louder than words, right? Some people, we don't have a problem with any of that, right? 10%, fine, I get the generosity principle, but, but the problem that they, they seem to have with it is more like, why the church? And I know some Christians that are like, well, I give 10% of my income, but I give some of it to an organization. I give some of it to a cause I believe in. Specifically, biblically, the church. And the problem is that, that some people have with it is, well, like, aren't pastors just being greedy? They just want bigger salaries. They just want bigger buildings, whatever. Believe me, 
most churches in America, the vast majority of churches, probably 95 to 97% of churches are less than 100 people in America today. That's a real statistic. Less than 100 people. They aren't making money, the pastors. Promise you. Almost no church in America is overpaying their pastor. Okay? And, and a bigger church budget would just go back into the people. But upgrade old falling apart facilities or go toward, toward a beloved missions project. I guarantee you it's not going to the pastor's salary, even though it probably should because they devote their lives to those 100 people. Always on call. Always answering questions. Available when your life falls apart and in the, the best moments too. But I've been becoming more and more passionate about this specific subject because I just saw friends walking through the toughest year of their lives as pastors. And COVID wasn't kind <laughs> to pastors. There was no more built-in feedback. There, there was, I mean, uh, I just see pastors right now struggling so much and many of them giving up and quitting after the year that we had because honestly they're saying, what's the point? This isn't taking care of my family anymore. Everyone's mad at me for something right? It's tough. A lot of them are quitting. The, the church needs to take care of the pastor that takes care of them. Are we really so selfish that we can't? I, I, this church has always been very generous. Now we could always be better, of course, but we've always been a generous, passionate church. We need to keep it that way. We stay passionate by staying obedient. Obedience feeds passion because you see it work. The church gets your tithe. That is biblical. If it's not going to the storehouse, which is the biblical word, uh, meaning the temple in the Old Testament, the church in the New Testament, then it's not a tithe. It's just a, a donation. It's good. You just can't call it a tithe. You should be giving into your storehouse, the place that feeds you. Right? The, the place, your local church where you can serve people, where you can receive good teaching, worship God corporately, be discipled by people who can look you in the eyes, work together toward a goal, all of it. The five purposes of the church, according to Rick Warren, biblically, are worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and mission. The church was the beautiful design of Jesus himself. He set it up to reach the world. It's not perfect, right? Because people, <laughs> we're not perfect, right? But it's beautiful. It's all of us imperfect Jesus followers working together to serve one another, laying down our own selfishness to reach the world together. It is a beautiful system invented by Jesus himself. It's the place that should drive your passion, feed your soul and give you opportunities to reach your potential and purpose. And your tithe is the system to resource that. If you're partaking in a church regularly and not tithing, you're stealing from it. Again, Bible's words, not mine. It's not usually a whole lot of amens in the room when I say things like this, but it's biblical, okay? There are so many reasons to do it too. Once you start seeing them, you cannot stop seeing them. This is why tithers are so passionate about it. You give into the church because you don't want it to starve just because you don't have the faith to trust God. 
I give into it for others to have a place where they can receive Jesus like you did. Right? Give into it for your kids and, and their kids' sake that future generations of Christians would be able to withstand the harsh world and its persecution on Christians. Right? Give it into it because Jesus said to. Because you believe the word. Give into it because you can then claim the promises of God in your life. Give into it to be obedient. Plain and simple. Give into it to grow the kingdom, to have a deeper understanding of what the kingdom is. Give into it to invest in something that thieves can't break in and steal. Moths can't destroy. I give into it because heaven is real. And eternity is so much longer than your hundred years on this planet. Give into it to see the abundance in your life. This is that that upside-down kingdom, that backwards kingdom that Jesus seemed to always be proclaiming. The kingdom, it doesn't make earthly sense. That's why we call it the upside-down kingdom. It doesn't always make earthly, worldly sense. But it's the place you give more to to see more abundance in your own life. Seek first the kingdom, Jesus said. I went on a fact-finding mission a few years ago in the Word suddenly became obsessed with the fact that Jesus didn't talk about eternity that much. He didn't mention heaven a whole lot even. I mean, he does mention it, don't get me wrong, and he talks about hell here and there, but what he did say a lot, the exact term that he uses is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. It's it's the kingdom. Talked about it constantly. I I don't know, I think in my head I, I always equated that to heaven. But he says the kingdom is here now. It's coming and it's also here. It's among you. In fact, almost every time the disciples ask Jesus when he is coming back, right? Jesus, when are you going to establish your rule? When are you going to restore Jerusalem? When are you going to reign over the world? Put everything right. Jesus redirects them to his kingdom that's already here. And it's their time to grow that kingdom. It's a kingdom that is coming and indeed is already here, Jesus says. How can it both be coming and already here? Right? It's no wonder the disciples were so confused all the time. So what is it? The kingdom is a mindset. Right now, it's a mindset. It is and it will be a place as well, but right now it is a mindset. The kingdom is making Jesus the Lord of your life. Not the government, not the, your boss at work, not your own body and its selfish wants and desires, not your wallet, not your kids or your, or your family. Jesus, the Lord, the boss of your life. That is the kingdom. And again, the upside down kingdom, it's, it's only in doing that that you'll find true freedom. The world wants to tell you, put yourself in charge. Right, you tell you what to do. You do you, right? It's not where freedom is. Freedom is making Jesus the Lord of your life and following the plan laid out for us from the creator of us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And here's the real point of this passage. Jesus saw the universe differently than we do. He saw it all beautifully working together. He looked at the birds and he saw God's provision, right? He, he looked at the, the ravens. He saw God's provision. He looked at the lilies and saw God's provision. He saw the universe like a, a safe place where we are welcomed by a generous host. 
host who has a name. Right? Not the universe. There are whole religions out there built around the fact that we have a, a universe who takes care of us and, and mother nature and all of that. No, this host has a name. Right? A host who already knows what you need before you even ask it. A host who wants to have a relationship with you. The God of heaven and earth who created you. He wants the best for you. A host who is developing your character in such a way that you can be prepared for all of the goodness that he wants to give you. The God of heaven and earth. Freedom from anxiety is rooted in this perception of the world. God is a generous God. He created the universe to take care of us. He, we, we see a beautiful harmony happening in nature the way Jesus describes it. The way God ordered and planned and systematized all of it to work together so perfectly. Well, why have a scarcity mentality when we can see this beautiful harmony happening? all around us. We don't need to withhold. We don't need to hold our resources so tightly because the same overabundance we see in nature comes from a creator who shows that same generosity to us. If he takes care of the ravens, how much more? And if he clothes the lilies, how much more will he clothe you? This mindset, Jesus' mindset, his way of, of looking at the world frees us from the scarcity mentality, releasing us to freely give resources to others. Jesus observes this not primarily as a religious principle, but one that's just true. It's just written on the DNA of the universe. Jesus sees the birds and the flowers and the grass and notices God's generosity and overabundant love. We don't have to teach ourselves to think this way. We just have to open our eyes, in other words just have to open our eyes. If he does it for the birds, why not me? Why do you have so little faith? A lot of us look at the world like there's this this finite amount of things. If someone else gets all the things, that means I can't have the things, and that's anxiety, right? What what if I can't provide for my family? What, What if I can't? What if my job lets me go? What if, what if, what if? And so we get jealous of others when they get things, or we overwork because we're the breadwinner after all. We're the Lord of our household. We're the source, right? We've got to do for me because if we don't, someone else is going to get it. And so we overwork and we, we abuse the Sabbath, which is also an expression of not trusting God, right? We, we don't rest in the goodness of our abundant and generous God who already knows our needs. We withhold. We withhold our tithe. We withhold gifts to others. We withhold giving to other people because we know what needs done in our lives more than God does, right? We get pulled up in our minds with this anxiety and fear. But verse 30 says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father, your father already knows your needs. If you let him, he will go before you. Right? If you let him, he will give you favor. He will open the windows of heaven for you and pour out so much blessing you won't even have room enough for it. He will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He will let your cup overflow. He will store up treasures for you in heaven. He will prosper you and not harm you. 
He will give you a future and a hope. He will fill your barns with plenty and your vats will overflow with wine. This is all scripture promises for you, right? He will go before you. Make your crooked paths straight. He will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places. He will give you the power to get wealth. He will give to you in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I'm preaching scripture here, people. These are not promises, empty promises. This is his promises. In fact, they're all listed out in the sermon notes today. Ten financial promises. For you, this isn't prosperity teaching. It's pure and simple promises of heaven for obedient disciples. This isn't calling in mansions and sports cars. Name it and claim it. (laughs) This is God's promise that he will take care of you. Actually take care of you. This isn't calling in what you don't have for the purpose of status and pride. This is seeing what's already there. What's already abundant because God has already been so generous to you. Proverbs 10, 22, one of our trivia verses today says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. This isn't get rich quick scheming. That is not the kingdom of heaven. Some people get saved thinking life's just going to be better, right? God's going to handle all of my problems and Christianity is easy, right? No amens on that one? It's not always easy, is it? No, but it is good. It is rich. God gives to us in abundant measures. In fact, I don't see many get-rich-quick schemes working out in the Bible. (laughs) Can you even think of one? Isaac tried it. Isaac and Esau, remember the story? He tried to steal the birthright. He did, in fact, steal it. But then God sent him away and processed his character for a few decades until he was ready to to come back and claim it, right? There are rags-to-riches stories, certainly, like David, the least of all his brothers in the least family of the whole kingdom, right? Rags to riches. And eventually he became king, but it was not an overnight success story. It was years and years of hard-won victories and successes, right? He trusted God for decades before becoming king. Uh, Or Joseph, right? Beat up by his brothers, left in a well to die, to, to be sent into slavery, and then life just kept kicking him over and over. But eventually, God processed his character in such a way. God had put him in a place and time to be set up for the blessing. These things happen, but it's not get-rich-quick schemes. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Do you know the statistics on lottery winners, by the way? A lot of them lose their fortunes. They win in the first year. A lot of them declare bankruptcy in the years that follow. Right? They spend on crazy big things and then they can't hold up under the weight of it all. There's even some stories about them getting murdered by family members trying to take the wealth. I mean, it's sorrow that comes with it. That is not the blessing of the Lord. 
Blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. The Bible's view on wealth is complex. This is why Jesus talks about it so much, I think. He has a lot of thinking to undo, and we still have these, this thinking, this anxious, this worry. Right? We are the source, not God. Jesus talks about wealth and money more than most topics. Scripture is a little suspicious about wealth, knowing that affluence and, and abundance can make humans indulgent and arrogant. A lot of people believe the, that the Bible says money is the root of all evil. Do you know that's just not quite true? It's, it's so close. But what it actually says in 1 Timothy 6, 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. See the difference? The money is the root of all evil makes money sound evil. If it's the root of all evil, right? And so some people believe that Christians should actually be poor or look poor, right? It's not what it says, though, is it? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. See how scripture is just a little suspicious, right? That money brings physical comfort, but not necessarily always spiritual comfort. Money is just a tool. It makes a great tool, but a terrible God. Right? It's when we put a love for money above our love for God that it gets out of whack. It can be used for selfishness, and it can be used for selflessness. A selfish person doesn't usually get less selfish with more money. Right? But when you allow God to work in your life, when you allow him to process your character and learn about money and how to really build something over time, he can bring blessings without the sorrow attached to it. Sorrow can come with riches that are gained quickly with no processing of your character. Right? The blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Can we not just trust him? Why do we have so little faith? Can we understand that he knows better than we do? He works all things together for the good of those who love the Lord. For our, our good. All things together for our good. Here is, I want to just read you a psalm that Jesus would have grown up hearing in the temple. I don't know how many of you, I've been, I've been spending so much time in the psalms lately. I feel so seen the Psalms. They express emotions like, I didn't even know I had, and I'm picking out verses like, oh, yes, it's so good. But Psalm 104, verse 10, says, you make springs pour water into the ravines, so streams gush down from the mountains. They provide water for all the animals, and the wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds nest beside the streams and sing among the branches of the trees. You send rain on the mountains from your heavenly home, and you fill the earth with the fruit of your labor. You cause grass to grow for the livestock and plants for people to use. You allow them to produce food from the earth, wine to make them glad, olive oil to soothe their skin, and bread to give them strength. 
The trees of the Lord are well cared for, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests, and the storks make their homes in the cypresses. High in the mountains live the wild goats, and the rocks form a refuge for the hyraxes. Skipping down to verse 24, O Lord, what a variety of things you have made. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the ocean, vast and wide, teeming with life of every kind, both large and small. See the ships sailing along, and Leviathan, which you made to play in the sea. They all depend on you to give them food as they need it. When you supply it, they gather it. You open your hand to feed them, and they are richly satisfied. Does that remind you of anything else we read lately? You've been here for the past couple of weeks. Job, right? When God was trying to show him the vastness of creation, he gave him this broad overview of all the things that God takes care of. This perspective, how do we have so little faith? Our eyes aren't opened. We're not seeing the kingdom because we're too busy seeing our stuff, too busy focusing on all of our problems. This is what worship does, by the way. Worship, true, pure worship, just focuses on Him, who He is. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He, He made the ocean vast and wide, teeming with life of every kind, both large and small, right? He created every star in the sky and knows them by name. He is the provider, the deliverer, the comforter, the healer. It's just about him. And when you can see him, the God of heaven and earth, you can also see the abundance that he created, the beauty, the the systems, the way it all works together he's going to take care of you. The, the human problem, not only on a societal level, but on a heart level, is that by default, we only think about ourselves. It's the sin problem in us. That selfishness. We only act to benefit, of, to benefit ourselves when we're left to ourselves. In the midst of this, God still works it all together. He's working it all together. We can just get our eyes off of us and see what he's already doing. Like, don't foster your anxiety by worrying about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. A plan for these things, sure. Use wisdom, absolutely. God gave us that, right? Like last week I said, don't turn your brain off with faith. God never asked you to do that. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. So budget, plan, and tithe, right? Use your your mind to solve problems, absolutely, but don't worry about them. Don't foster your anxiety. If you're obedient and truly trust the God of creation, will take care of you. This is the kingdom mindset. Jesus was desperately trying to teach us while here on earth. It's not about poverty. God doesn't want you poor. That's not the kingdom. He wants you taken care of. He wants you also overflowing so that you can be taken care of others. He wants to give you abundance so you can share it with the world. 
He wants to build your wealth, your influence, your ability to give. But with that, He wants to process your character in such a way that you can handle it. He wants you to be somebody that He can truly trust with those resources. He wants you to be able to see, truly see the kingdom and seek its health and wealth first. The kingdom is people. The kingdom is the church. The kingdom is the way that we all work together and not against each other. The kingdom is putting others first, seeing ourselves as servants of each other, seeing people not as enemies, but as future followers of Christ. Seeing people as creations of our Father, brothers and sisters. If you truly want to see the world with an abundance mindset and not a scarcity mindset, five very simple things I'm going to throw at you and then I'm done. Tithe, first of all. Pure and simple. If you want to see the world with the abundance, tithe, give 10% to the church. It's, it's the system that God created on planet Earth to resource the mission. It resources the mission. God had a plan for it. You're it. Tithe. Number two, be grateful for what you do have. Remember that gratitude might just be the beginning of faith. Be grateful for what God has already given you. Remind yourself what God has already given you. Be grateful for what you do have. Number three, see money as a tool, not a God. Don't serve it. Money serves you. There's a proverb actually that says, use your money to gain friends. Give to people. Right? It is a tool in your hands, but it makes a terrible God. See money as a tool, not a God. Number four, people with an abundance mindset are generous. Because there's no reason to withhold reason to have a scarcity mindset when God is the generous God that he is. Be generous, right? Not worrying about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. Give it to others in need generously. And number five, and they really can all be summed up in the last one. Seek first his kingdom and watch him build yours. Seek first his kingdom. Let him worry about the rest. He will build yours. Look, to, to tame our mind, to quiet the thoughts, to tame the wild that goes on up here, the anxiety, the, the worry, and the fear, we seek first his kingdom. That's the secret. Seek first his kingdom. When you understand who you are, who you actually are in Jesus Christ, a rightful heir in his kingdom. A son or daughter of the Most High. You, you've been adopted into his family. The guy who runs all of it adopted you. You are a direct heir to him. You have the authority on planet Earth to see the abundance and walk in it, unlike anyone else. God, help us see it. Help us see it. God, help us see it. Why do we have so little faith? Father, help us see the kingdom. Help us see the abundance that you've already put here. 
Help us see the abundance that we are allowed to walk in as followers of you, of who you are. Help us see that you work everything together for the good of those who love the Lord. Help us see that you will go before us, that you will give us favor, that you will open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing we won't even be able to receive it all. Help us see that you place a table before us in the presence of our enemies, not in the absence of them. Help us see our cup overflowing. Help us see the need in our world. Give us eyes like yours to see what you see. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Let us store up our treasures in heaven. Help us see you as a God that wants us to prosper. Help us see our hope and future. God, help us see it. Give us eyes to see it. That as we leave from here today, that we would just look at our world differently. Be able to see the vast abundance out there, no matter what our bank account says. We see you for the generous, abundant God that you are. Knowing that we are heirs in Christ. That you give incredible grace and mercy. You love to give to us heads bowed and eyes still closed today. And maybe today you're saying, I've, I'm not an heir because I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know that abundance. In fact, I've messed up so much in life. I've made bad decisions. I've got myself to a place I'm not proud of. I don't want a fresh start today. I want forgiveness for acting selfishly in the past. I want to move forward and selflessness and peace. I want Jesus to truly be the Lord of my life, to be the boss of me. I'm going to live for him from today forward. It's never been easier. Jesus came to make it easy, in fact. He came to forgive you, to show you the love of your Father, the abundant, overflowing love today you're just making a decision I'm going to start to see the if that's you today you're sort of making that decision in your heart would you just raise your hand I'd like to pray for you I want to see the world that way Father I thank you for everyone giving their lives to Jesus today you for being generous. Thank you for teaching us to be generous. Thank you for opening our eyes. Help us worship you this week like we never have before. Help us truly see who you are. Help us to feel you smiling down on us. You love us, God. You're not an angry God in heaven smiting us when we mess up. You just want to give us love overflowing love and grace. God, help us feel that and most importantly, help us give that to the world. Thank you for giving each of us a purpose and a plan that we can go into this world vibrant, passionate, selfless disciples and we can change it 
with the message of the gospel. God, help us tame our wild thoughts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.